Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Hello everyone, my name's Ollie. I'm the youth pastor here at City Reach. Uh, we've had an awesome term in our youth ministry here and um, in a few weeks' time, a few of us will be going to uh, Katoomba for a youth convention, uh, hence the hoodie. Um, so please don't judge me if you feel I'm underdressed tonight to preach, but I did want to represent so that you would uh, know what's happening and pray for us. Uh, kick is happening over three weekends, and the first one is this weekend. In a couple of weeks' time, we'll be going, and then th- there'll be another one. Um, but just happened uh, this weekend on Saturday night, about 100 kids gave their life to the Lord at this conference. So we're just praying that God will continue to work as we go down and, and experience His Word and, and continue to grow uh, as the youth here at City Reach. Well, keep your Bibles open to Acts chapter 1. We're going to be working through that tonight. Um, There's been a great fuss around the state of our footballers at the moment, both Crows and Port on losing streaks. I don't know if anyone's feeling that at the moment. And one of the greatest criticisms has been their attitude towards the game. There's a phrase uh, the media loves to use, their intent to win or their belief. In other words, we question their posture, their heart's alignment, their attitude to the game. Tonight, as we walk in these doors, as we sit in these pews, what is your posture right now as we come to church? If we're honest with ourselves, is our posture one of complacency or one of expectancy? One of expectancy. What is our expectation, our posture, when we examine our faith and our own lives? What is our posture towards our community, our church? What is our expectation towards friends and family who don't know Jesus? What's our expectation of Easter coming up and of Alpha? What's our our posture when we rock up to youth or to school or to uh, our Sunday gatherings or our life groups? What is our expectation when we step into our workplaces or a university? What's our posture as we see society moving away from our kind of nominal Christian roots to our suppression and opposition? I've been thinking, uh, I've been thinking recently and reading and asking, will God pour out his presence in such a manifest and powerful way as he has before? In other words... Can renewal happen? Is revival possible in this place? What's our attitude? What's our expectation? Is revival possible in this community, in in this country? Well, I believe tonight as we continue to look at how Jesus powerfully used his church to turn the world upside down, we'll see how essential and expectant faith while waiting is to experience the presence and power of God and what that might look in us. Let me say that again. We'll see how essential and expectant faith while waiting is to experiencing the presence and power of God and what that might look like for us. And if you're here tonight and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, let me just encourage you uh, for being here and we want you to know that you're incredibly welcome and loved amongst us. And it's our hope that you'll meet our amazing Saviour, Jesus, who we're convinced is the Son of God, raised from the dead and at work bringing people back into fellowship with Him. 
Well, here tonight, as we assess and examine our hearts, as we allow God's word to teach, rebuke, train, and encourage us, are we expectant in waiting or complacent in just wondering? Are we expectant in waiting or complacent in wondering? Let me pray as we come to God's word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you've been working for thousands of years. And just pray tonight as we, um, as we learn from it, we pray that you would speak by your spirit, that you'd soften our hearts and, and grow us to be more like Jesus and that you might spark something in us that we would see an outpouring of your spirit, renewal in our hearts and in this place and, and wherever you might take us for your kingdom's sake. Amen. So we come again to the book of Acts. The expectant Messiah King Jesus has humbled himself to the shame, the scorn, and the torture of the cross, bearing the weight of the sins of the world. The disciples are scattered, afraid, grieving, only to be chastised by the witness of the women's testimony that Jesus is not dead, he is risen. The suffering servant defeats death and flips the narrative. They witness the resurrected Lord Jesus. They eat with him and he opens their eyes to the scriptures, all fulfilled in him. They worship him on the Mount of Olives and receive the promise of a coming baptism of the Holy Spirit and a commission to go and make disciples of all nations in the power of the Spirit that they will receive. They watch as their Lord is taken up in a cloud, like stunned mullets gazing at the heavens. They receive another chastisement, this time by angels. Why are you staring at the clouds? And now, they wait. Imagine you've witnessed what they have just experienced. They've just seen all this. Now, what is going through your head? Well, they descend the hill and make the journey back to Jerusalem. The air is still hostile. Passover is finished, but the Roman army remains on alert for zealots, for rebels and agitators. So the disciples go back to the familiar. They go back to the upper room. Yet something is different among them. They no longer see themselves distinct by their family ties. It's not James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but rather it's Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, Simon and Judas, son of James. Mary and Jesus' brothers are there, no longer opposing or criticizing as they once did. Jesus is not their relative anymore. He is their Lord and their Savior too. They are one family, men and women. They are with one accord. They are in harmony. They are banded together. A new family blood flows through their veins, the blood of Jesus. Together here in the upper room, they do what Jesus had commanded them to do. But this time, they are not asleep. This time, they are expectant. They pray. They pray. They give themselves to calling on Jesus, trusting in his promise. Peter the one who had denied Jesus three times, the one who was scattered like the rest, the one who in shame went fishing, but now at the sight of the risen Lord, threw off his garments to swim to shore and meet his Saviour. Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, feed my lambs. Peter, feed my sheep. This day restored, Peter does not shirk responsibility, but he stands up among the company. Peter stood up. 
with their minds and hearts open to the Scriptures, they now see the Holy Spirit's voice working through the mouth of David. The Scriptures they knew so well, but now alive and speaking in full definition, full colour, all would be fulfilled. Contrast their friend, their companion, Judas, betrayer and hardened. He had chosen his lot and thus fulfilled what Jesus had foreknew. Just a footnote of his tragic and terrible demise. 30 pieces of silver bought him a field and with it its impending death and judgment. A gruesome warning of the tragic waste of trading Jesus for the world. The 11 now had a vacancy to fill. Jesus had said, Luke 22, the 12 would eat and drink at his table in the kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And so fulfilling their apostolic commission, they knew, as surely as God knew, that the replacement must come from those who had been with Jesus from the beginning, a student of his teaching and an eyewitness of his resurrection. For upon this confession and this witness, the gospel would go forth. And so Joseph and Matthias, who fit this bill, are put forward. Knowing now their dependence on him, they pray to Jesus as God, knowing the hearts of all. They ask Jesus to make it clear to them who Jesus had chosen, for ultimately it was Jesus' ministry, not the apostles. They were yet to receive the indwelling of the Spirit, so they revert to what had been for thousands of years Jewish custom and law. They cast lots. Now, nowhere again do the apostles cast lots for God. Himself would soon dwell in them by the Spirit. Yet here the sovereign Lord, powerful over every chance encounter, allows the lot to fall on Matthias. And so the saga of the people of Jesus' presence has continued to this point. A people in waiting, expectant, devoted, and observant. The people of his presence, expectant, in waiting. Well, as we look at this portion of Scripture, as we look at the book of Acts as a whole, we need to ask, is this prescriptive? In other words, is it a command to emulate and follow? Or is what's happening here just descriptive, just retelling of the story and it doesn't really matter to us? Well, to keep it short, it's unlike me, and cut to the chase, uh, it's both. It's both prescriptive and descriptive. So I want to ask us, what can we learn given this is a moment in time about a people who are yet to receive the Holy Spirit, whereas by contrast, we stand on the other side having received the promised Spirit? Well, let me tonight make some observations and then I'll finish with some applications. A few observations, then some applications for us. Our first observation, the company of Jesus In light of his resurrection, commission, and promise, they devote themselves to each other. Verse 14, look down. All these, that is, he's talking about the company faithful to Jesus, men and women. All these were with one accord. With one accord, in other words, in harmony, in agreement. The faithful company, expectant in their waiting, were united together. So whatever Grievances that likely stood between them in the fallout and the scattering at the cross, whatever past selfish requests or competition to sit at the right hand of Jesus or the left hand, whatever division or entitlements, 
they overcome in this moment of expectancy as they consummate in prayer their newly found familial bond. The people of Jesus are called to deep, vulnerable, sacrificial, selfless love and unity. Because the disciples had just sat at Jesus' feet and, and overheard him praying in John 17, 20, and it's on the screen. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. That they may be be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Or take Paul's words to the, to the Ephesians. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. To say you you can be a Christian and not be a member of the body, not be a member of the church, is to misunderstand the gospel, misunderstand Jesus's purpose for the church and likely a slippery slope away from Jesus. As our mate, uh, Mr. Wagner likes to put it, a sheep on its own uh, amongst lions is not smart. It's probably lunch. On the other hand, I hope we can see the marvelous mystery and the glory of the unity of the body. The unity of the body. I'm not talking about a Facebook group, but a people who would bleed for each other as Jesus bled for us. It's costly, it's messy, it's hard, but its fruit is eternal and its witness is unparalleled. Of one accord, of one accord, they devoted themselves to each other. And not just the men, it's not some church movement that was a man's revolution, but men and women together as one body, as one body. They devoted, uh, they were devoted to one another. A second observation, the people of Jesus' presence, expected in waiting, devoted themselves to prayer. Devoted themselves to prayer. Verse 14, again, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. And again in verse 24, and they prayed to the Lord who knows the hearts of all. You see, prayer was their expression of trust in the waiting, acknowledging their complete dependence on Jesus and confidence in his promise. You see, Jesus had already promised. He'd made the promise that he would send the Holy Spirit in in power. They knew it was coming. But prayer was very much a submission and a worship in that promise. It was communing with God, their Father, just as Jesus had taught them to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I believe prayer here was obedience to their King. You see, in Luke 21, in Jesus' teaching on the destruction of the temple, the end times, and I'm sure this would be ringing in their ears, Jesus had said to them, Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. 
Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Prayer is essential in expectant waiting. Prayer is essential in expectant waiting. Luke doesn't record that they simply prayed together. Rather, they were devoting themselves to it. We get the sense of sacrificial giving and submission as we call upon the Lord. It's an active discipline of trust that we turn to God and not to the world for our needs. Prayer is boldly saying, Lord, we trust you and not the world to provide for us. It's urgent, it's intimate, and it's corporate. As Paul commends the Philippian church to pray without ceasing, to pray without ceasing. Observation number three of this company of the faithful, in their waiting, they were clearly devoted to the Scriptures, devoted to God's Word. Not long before this, Jesus had opened the Scriptures with him after his resurrection. In Luke 24, 36, we read Jesus addressing doubt. He says, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning himself. That would have been an awesome Bible study to be with Jesus in that moment as he opened the scriptures to say, this is all about me. In verse 44, he says, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Jesus opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. So the company of the faithful in this upper room are clearly wrestling with God's word. Imagine you've just done this Bible study with Jesus. He's left you. I'd be going right back to these scriptures as they're like open um, and, um, and alive to them once more. And, it, and it's upon this conviction that Peter is guided to find the replacement for Judas. Their minds are open to the reality that as Paul later writes to Timothy, that all scripture is God-breathed. And useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness that the person of God can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And their minds are open to the amazing revelation of biblical theology. That is the understanding of all scriptures as a coherent story that progressively unfolds and points to the salvation of the Messiah and his glorification. The scriptures guides them. The Scriptures connects them to the will of God and it grounds their convictions and their witness. They devoted themselves to God's Word. And they devoted themselves to what they clearly understood as their apostolic commission and authority. So Peter's here and he's now with his ten apostles. With him clearly had an understanding that upon the witness of the resurrection and the direct receiving of Jesus' teaching, the church would fulfill its commission. So this fledgling movement of 120 vagabonds about to be empowered by the Holy Spirit would need a grounding authority to sustain and protect the truth of their claims and the potency of its message. Upon this authority, this conviction of Jesus as the Christ, Jesus would build his church and the gates of hell would not be able to stand against it. 
the apostolic position, the apostles. It was exclusive and necessarily so because they would be the trustworthy witness and authority on Jesus' word and teaching. You see, the apostles are not alive today, but it's upon their their confession and witness, their inspired words that we ground our convictions as the true teachings of Jesus and the centrality of the truth of his resurrection is passed down from generation to generation and proclaimed to nation to nation. We need this apostolic, this kind of apostle authority so that we can trust that what they are teaching us is from the Lord Jesus. How are we doing? We're doing okay? So what now for us? What then for us? I said before, this faithful company of Jesus were yet to receive the Holy Spirit. By contrast, we have received the Holy Spirit and dwells in us as believers. Uh, Though this is the case, I do believe there are some things we can apply as we observe their model and example of expectant faith. Firstly, I absolutely believe that renewal will not come in our hearts or in this church or in this community if we do not pray. Renewal will not come if we do not pray. Always in God's paradigm, renewal comes after his people faithfully call upon him in prayer. Just as the faithful company of Jesus modeled for us, they devoted themselves. I want to tell you a story about the Moravians, a group of Christians who prayed. It was in 1727. Uh, There was a settlement in Saxony of about 300 people. This town was marked by bitterness and division and fighting following uh, hundreds of years of religious wars after the Reformation. In this place of bitterness and, and just coldness, it's the most unlikely place you would expect for revival. But out of this little community was a young adult, a 27 year old, a man named Zinzendorf. Try saying that a few times. I've been practicing. Um, Zizendorf, who became convinced that they needed the Lord to pour out his presence in their hearts. He's fed up with his bitterness and coldness in his community. So on August 27, 24 men and 24 women covenanted, they made a promise to one another to spend one hour each day in scheduled prayer. This one hour prayer meeting every day. Guess how long this prayer meeting went consecutively each day? This prayer meeting went on for 100 years. Within five years of praying, they clearly could see God was at work, now hundreds present. By year 65, this little Moravian prayer meeting had sent 300 missionaries around the world. And on one of these missionary journeys, a group of Moravian missionaries bumped into a fearful, bitter, depressed Anglican minister and failed missionary named John Wesley. Wesley was so impacted by these Moravians and their genuine faith that he decided to visit their church when he got back to England. And it was at one of these gatherings that Wesley experienced his famous heartwarming and this spark to bring about, by God's grace, the great awakening and revival of the 18th century. In fact, it was a group of Christians impacted by this revival that pressured government to abolish the slave trade. And interestingly, to send an evangelical Christian chaplain to the Australian colony upon which largely the evangelical Australian church owes its roots to, of which we are members of. 
Friends, I believe God heard the cries and prayers of the Moravian Christians. And I believe the Australian church is fruit of that. And back home today, let me tell you how encouraged I am by the faithfulness of one of our high schoolers, a young woman of our church leading a prayer group in her school, meeting every week after chapel, praying that God would break through, that God would break through. I know God is at work and moving in power through the faithfulness of our youth who pray. I'm expecting that God is going to hear this woman's prayer. So for you, how devoted are you to prayer, to corporate prayer? How devoted will you be to the pre-service prayer meeting? We're running a prayer meeting uh, for the next few weeks at 4.30 to 5.30 in the cafe. You see how important and significant this is, what God is doing. How much do you prioritize prayer in your life group meetings? How can you foster a culture of expectant prayer when you meet with your fellow believer, when you go to the gym to stop and pray for those around you, when you kick the footy, when you step into university, when your school offers a prayer group, when your work has these, uh, when your work hosts prayer teams. The challenge for me and for us tonight, how are we modeling expectancy, a fervency and faith in our prayer as we wait upon the Lord? Uh, if I might make one more suggestion, something that's helped me in my prayer life, I've started using an app called uh, Prayer Mate. Uh, has anyone else come across Prayer Mate? It's a real helpful app uh, where you can make lists and add prayers uh, and people uh, to, to lists, and then each day it'll give you um, items to pray for. And it's, it's just been really helpful to be disciplined in that structure of actually calling upon people. So I have a list for my youth leaders, a list for church and pastors, a list for uh, the youth members. And uh, I want to encourage you to, to um, use whatever tool uh, to, to pray, to pray. Because I believe united, devoted prayer precedes renewal. United, devoted prayer precedes renewal. Church, we need to pray. We need to pray. And the second application for us tonight comes from the contrast with Peter and with Judas. One who is a sellout, trading intimacy for the world, and the other who became sold out, devoting his life in service to his king. See, Judas was with Jesus. He heard Jesus teach. He experienced all the wonders of Jesus' signs and miracles. He knew of the intimacy of being in the inner circle amongst the 12. Yet he traded it all to acquire more of the world. Judas stands as a clear warning of the judgment that falls upon those who choose the world instead of Jesus. As an illustration, the man in Jesus' parable in Luke 12, uh, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, 
but is not rich towards God. How quickly we can betray the love and abundant provision of Jesus for some silver in this world. How quickly we just trade it all in for silver of this world, as Judas did. Let our hearts not grow so cold and distant from Jesus as we build barns and we conform our lives to the accumulation of more pleasure, more comfort, more stuff, more wealth at the expense of selling out on Jesus. But friends, take courage in the restoration of Peter. By contrast, let's look at Peter. Instead of remorse and abandonment, Peter's guilt and grief led him to repentance. You see, our God is in the business of restoration. Peter is able to stand up in the company and fulfill his commission because he put his faith and trust in the restoration and forgiveness of Jesus. Perhaps tonight you wear the weight of shame and guilt and regret, the weight on your shoulders that you carry around because you feel as though you continually fail to share your faith. Maybe you know that you're caught up in the world in greed in complacency, and every time you walk into church, your stomach twists because you know your Monday to Saturday, you sell out and forget God. Brother, sister, God is in the business of restoration, of grace, of love. God is quick to forgive. Jesus died to free you from the weight that you keep putting on your shoulders. The time is now, the offer is present and free to throw off everything that entangles and stand up. And stand up as Peter stood up free from shame and guilt of past failures with the acceptance and the love of Jesus to step into Jesus' calling on your life. Will you study his scriptures intently like these followers just were consuming it? Will you ground your hope and satisfaction not in the false acceptance of an Instagram like nor the fleeting pleasure of quick comforts, but in the powerful and true word of God that restores and refreshes and renews? So tonight, will you sell out or will you be sold out for him who was sold out for you? I want us to take a look at this passage again and see the kindness of Jesus. The grace of our King Jesus to unite a broken group into a harmonious, loving, vulnerable community. The grace of our King Jesus to restore the faith of a broken yet repented man named Peter. And the grace of our King Jesus who is uniting all things unto himself with a commission for his church to turn the world upside down. This company of faithful followers of Jesus, they were not perfect. And as we read Acts, we'll see that they were far from it. But as we take a look in, and in the coming weeks, we will see this raggedy group of nobodies, but in and through the power of Jesus, which shake the world like never before. And as we look at history and how God has poured out his spirit and presence in the past in waves of renewal and revival, in Jesus's paradigm, Renewal always follows the faithfulness of those expectant and clinging to the promise. It may take years, it might take decades, it might take a hundred years. But God will build his church. The question is, what part will you play? 
Will we be complacent in just wondering what could happen, but never loosen our grip on the comfort of our short lives? Or will we be expectant in waiting on the Lord, sold out for Him, who we know is raised from the dead victorious? We know that He has poured out His Holy Spirit to give us power and hope, that we know that He is sovereign and good and all-knowing. We sing about it. We talk about it. Our challenge tonight, my challenge for you, is what will be our posture towards it? Are we expecting that God will move in this place? Where is our faith at? So let God's word examine our hearts tonight as we look at what Jesus promised he would do in his people. And we see he did and continues to do the people of his presence. Will we be complacent or today will we look to Jesus being expectant in prayer? Expected in prayer. United as his body. Do we believe that as a church here, we are one family? We are his body. And standing firm upon the foundation of his word. Let's cry out that God, you would pour out your presence here again that we might see renewal. I'm just going to invite the band up. Uh, We're going to stand and worship in a moment. Um, Why don't you stand now? And uh, what I want to invite you to do is, as we reflect and respond, um, if you want to be someone who uh, is expectant in faith and longing for Jesus to work in this place, I just invite you as we sing, just to put your hands out like this, just a, a symbol of saying, God, we need you, we want you in this place. And a symbol to kind of reflect our heart's posture, a posture of, of calling out to God that he would work and that he would pour out his spirit, that he would move in this place in power. And expectancy that we're not just wasting our time, we're not just walking in here and, and going out and, uh, for the sake of it, but that we long to see Jesus work and change us and pour out his spirit that through him, we might see our friends and family saved, that they would move from heaven, I've moved from hell to heaven as they find the salvation in Jesus. Uh, so let me pray and then we're going to worship together. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you for the example uh, of these first followers and their expectant faith, their reliance on your promise, Jesus. Lord God, would you move us in faith? Awake us up from our slumber and our complacency. Lord, I I confess my own sin, my own uh, apathy and uh, uh, my own doubt um, and just wondering and not actually expecting you to move. Lord God, I pray tonight that uh, you would move in our hearts from complacency, complacency to expectancy, that we would see you move and we would long to see you move. Lord, we want more of you, Jesus, that you would move in power uh, and revive this church, Lord. Uh, revive our hearts, revive this community. Pour out your spirit that we would see many more saved and your kingdom come and your will be done. For your glory and honor's sake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.